Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Alright, good day Tokers and Tokets and non-token Lovers of Liberty It is Friday, March 4th 2016 and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world Boy, it is a perfect 420 type time for me as well. I've got myself out of the city of Portland and off the road and up to my good friend and the sister from another mister that I never had, Cannabis Carrie. I'm up at her place here, Kensington Estates, as I like to call it, in uh, beautiful Astoria, Oregon. We're on the mouth of the Columbia River where it meets the Pacific, the border between Washington and Oregon. We're on the northernmost tip of the Oregon coast, and it's a gray day, a typical gray winter coast day. But it's so relaxing up here in small town Astoria. You may know Astoria as the city for the Goonies. Unfortunately, the uh, lady who owns the Goonies house has kind of now shut it down. There's so many tourists that would come in to uh, check it out and kind of trash the area around it that she got tired of it. And, uh, well, it's another sad day in Astoria when you can't go see the Goonies house. But, you know, Goonies never say die. So who knows? Maybe that'll change someday. Coming up on today's show, we have got some great activism for you. Fran Janik is joining us at half past the hour. He's going to talk to us about Vermont and its attempts to legalize marijuana through its legislature. It's not the kind of legalization a lot of us would really prefer, but it is legislative movement on this issue. So Fran will tell us all about it, the good and the bad, coming up in a cannabis community chat at half past the hour. Also on the show today, we'll have time for me to get into a radical rant where I take a look at two competing medical marijuana initiatives in Ohio. Yeah, it's the running story. Wherever there's one initiative that's got funding and professionals and good poll numbers, There's always got to be another competing grassroots true legalization initiative to compete with it. So we'll break that down coming up at the end of the show in the Radical Rant. Also on the show today, we are going to take a look at the rumors that have uh, proposed that drug abuse resistance education, D.A.R.E., has... uh, rescinded some of its previous reefer madness. Uh, Nothing can be further from the truth. And our friend Jacob Solemn writes in Forbes today on the topic. We'll cover that coming up in an activist agenda segment. Also, we'll go behind the headlines where the world famous cannabis cafe run by my friend and mentor Madeline Martinez in Portland, Oregon, has closed its doors for the third time. We'll tell you why, and we'll take a broader look at how the rights of legal cannabis consumers in three legal states are being denied, and that would be the rights of free assembly. We'll take a look at that behind the headlines, but before we get to all of that, we've got the cannabis radio news for today, and in the headlines, we've got 
more on that situation in Maine where the campaign to regulate marijuana like alcohol failed to make the ballot because of one person's signature. We'll get the latest details on that. We've got three stories coming to you from Florida, the Florida State House, the County of Volusia, and the City of Tampa, all looking at marijuana law reforms. We've got some bad news coming out of my home state of Idaho, Idaho with respect to their medical petition. And in Orange County, some labor news with respect to a medical marijuana dispensary. That's all coming up on the Russ Belleville Show. And in hour two, we'll take some more time to talk about marijuana issues and some politics. I don't know if you saw that Republican debate last night, but I did. And boy, that was some interesting uh, pro wrestling theater, wasn't it? Stick around. We'll be back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, March 4th, 2016. Maine officials have provided inconsistent accounts about whether they contacted a public notary before denying ballot access to a marijuana legalization initiative based solely on the belief that the notary's handwriting was inconsistent on forms containing 17,000 otherwise valid signatures. The various tellings of whether the notary was asked for an explanation come amid debate on whether they should have been contacted and whether the signature, which is required on petition forms, actually was inconsistent. The notary has not been publicly named by the state or the legalization campaign, but initiative campaign manager David Boyer says he knows the person and that the signatures looked consistent to him. The notary, he said, denies ever being contacted. 
on Friday, there was clarification to U.S. News that the state misspoke because they assumed the office followed its common practice of contacting notaries whenever there is an issue. The Florida House passed its second medical marijuana bill in three years Thursday. Legislators acknowledge that Representative Matt Gates' bill, HB 307, is not a panacea for all of the problems that have arisen the past two years, but that it does make significant progress. The bill, which passed with a 99-16 to 16 vote, expands the Right to Try Act, allowing near-death patients to use non-smokable marijuana of all strengths and doses. It also adds regulations for dispensing organizations, patients, and physicians covered by the 2014 Compassionate Medical Cancer. Act. The measure also comes as voters will consider a proposed constitutional amendment legalizing marijuana for medical purposes in November's general election. A similar me- measure was on the ballot in 2014 and received 58% approval, which was 2% shy of what was needed for passage. The Orlando Sentinel reports that the Volusia, Florida County Council pa- voted on Thursday to give law officers the discretion to ticket people who possess 20 grams of marijuana or less. Under the new policy, violators would be fined $100 instead of being arrested and charged with a misdemeanor. County Council member Josh Wagner says that the war on drugs didn't work and that it only filled jails. He says officers will still have the right to arrest people if they become belligerent. The ordinance will apply only to possession. It will still be illegal to drive a car under the influence of marijuana. The ordinance will take effect April 1st and will cover unincorporated Volusia County, including their beaches. Tampa, Florida's city council voted 6-1 to Thursday afternoon to give police the discretion to issue a civil fine instead of an arrest if someone is caught with less than 20 grams of cannabis. The only no vote was from Councilman Charlie Miranda, who is worried that much of the city's crime is because of drug deals gone bad. If this ordinance passes second reading, possession of less than 20 grams of pot or drug paraphernalia will be a first-time fine of $75. It increases for each additional citation up to a maximum of $450. St. Peter's Big Berg is also considering a marijuana decriminalization ordinance. The final Tampa City Council vote will be on March 17th. Volunteers with the group New Approach Idaho have spent several months gathering signatures to put medical marijuana legalization on the ballot in November. Now, with less than two months until the deadline, the group's president has canceled the petition. Bill Espenson says he received a letter from a national pediatric organization that had been listed on the petition as supporters of medical marijuana. The group asked that its name be removed. Espenson says New Approach leadership had considered pulling the petition anyway because it wasn't written well enough. Espenson says New Approach could change the petition and refile it this year, but the group was not going to get enough signatures anyway, though he says they'd gathered more than any previous pot petition in Idaho. Espenson says his group will start over with an effort to get medical marijuana legalization on the state's 2018 November ballot. Orange County, California's first licensed medical marijuana dispensary made history again, now being the first store of its kind to join a labor union. South Coast Safe Access at 1900 Warner Avenue in Santa Ana signed a labor contract with its nearly two dozen workers. Owners agreed to give their employees an hourly wage starting at $13.50, health benefits, paid vacation, and pension contributions. The workers there are now members of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union Local 324. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, March 4th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. 
providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take aim at a rumor that's going across the internet amongst many pro-marijuana websites about drug abuse resistance education. That would be the D.A.R.E. program that has cops lie to kids about drugs in our schools, but that uh, the D.A.R.E. program has suddenly reversed itself or is no longer considering marijuana to be a gateway drug. Uh, This has been repeated on numerous websites. Uh, It... uh, Let's see if it, the first one here, uh, a letter to the editor in the Columbus Dis- Dispatch, which was purchasing marijuana puts kids at risk. And it was a, uh, a leap speaker who had written this article. He's uh, actually been on our show, Carlos McDermott. And uh, he was a deputy sheriff who said that the war on drugs was a failure and that we needed to end prohibition. That was uh, mistakenly placed on Dare's website, uh, thinking that it was an anti-legalization article, uh, and that was when Dare first was called on this as to whether or not they'd change their position. Regional director of Dare, Ron Brogan, said, the article you wrote about was mistakenly posted on our website by a service we use. We have not changed our stance of being opposed to the legalization of marijuana. But now there's this meme going around that gateway that dare no longer considers marijuana a gateway drug dare has issued another correction saying, quote, 
Some pro-drug websites are promulgating misinformation claiming Drug Abuse Resistance Education Program, DARE, one of the largest anti-drug groups in the world, no longer lists marijuana as a so-called gateway drug. Had nominal research been conducted by the authors, substantial references on the DARE website would have been found in support of DARE's position that marijuana is both an illegal and harmful drug to the youth of this nation. The authors would have had justification to instead state DARE considers marijuana to be a dangerous drug for youth and the, of the United States and the world, end quote. Well, I take exception to a couple things here. Number one, um, nobody is pro-drug on these websites. Well, I shouldn't say that. Some people are very pro-cannabis, but generally we're anti-prohibition is what we're talking about. It's not whether the, good, the drug itself is good or bad. It's whether or not prohibiting it and putting criminals in charge of its distribution and production is a good idea, which we think it is not. And the other thing is saying that they no longer list marijuana as a gateway drug and then going forth and saying we say it's illegal and harmful doesn't exactly answer the question as whether or not they still think marijuana is a gateway drug. It depends on what they consider to be references to this on their website. Jacob did a good job of looking through the website, and I've looked through the D.A.R.E. website many times myself, and you may find parts where they'll state people that have heroin addiction might have started first on marijuana, but they don't explicitly go out and say that there's a gateway. They let that implication be drawn, that inference be drawn by the listener, by the reader. They don't come right out and say it. And as an observation, it's true. It's true that people that use heroin, a large majority of them, had tried marijuana. It doesn't mean the marijuana made them move to heroin. It's just a true observation. Just like you can observe that most of the people who have tried marijuana tried alcohol first doesn't mean one led to the other. It's just kind of part of the natural progression of how people might use certain substances. Regardless, uh, Dare is saying, no, they are not uh, dropping that part. The uh, part that had changed was, according to Frank Pagueros, Dare's America's president and CEO, says it's based on what appears to have been a partial posting of a document on our website, the part that was posted and since removed discussed alcohol and tobacco as gateway drugs. The part discussing marijuana as a gateway drug was on a subsequent page that was not posted. So it makes it seem like alcohol, they, they're saying, they're going out of their way to say alcohol and tobacco are gateway drugs. And since they didn't mention marijuana, they no longer consider marijuana to be a gateway drug. That's some specious logic as well. Just because they didn't say they're against it as a gateway drug doesn't mean they don't feel that way and they haven't said so. It's just they didn't put it on their website in that way. Absence of the evidence is not the evidence itself. So D.A.R.E. is still anti-marijuana. Uh, there was a numerous articles on this. Uh, there was a Reddit thread, marijuana no longer a gateway drug. Teen Vogue said, uh, picked up on this. Leafly picked up on this. And that was where Dare's Ron Brogan seemed uh, quite confused as to why all these uh, outlets were saying that Dare had dropped its gateway drug references. Nothing could be further from the truth. They still believe that uh, marijuana is a terrible, terrible thing. And 
they just say that there's no point in saying whether it's a gateway drug or not because they say, quote, within our curriculum, we don't deal with gateway drugs. We deal with drugs, period. So trying to distance themselves from any sort of gateway reference. And Canna Chronicle and other websites uh, continued to do this. There's been a great debunk of this by Jacob Sullum. Look it up on Forbes.com if you'd like to know more about this. But rest assured, folks, D.A.R.E. is still as anti-marijuana as they've always been. Yes, and I'd have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for these blasted kids and their dog. Well, folks, that sound means that it's 20 after, and that means it's 420 in Denver, Colorado, and the rest of the Mountain Time Zone. But it's always 420 here on CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. I'm going to enjoy myself a nice drag off of the joint here in beautiful Grass Storia, Oregon, home of the Goonies. Never say die. We'll be back with a discussion of the Cannabis Cafe when we return. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Normal. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Activism begins with act. The Rush Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. Welcome back today. We're just going to talk to myself here in today's activist agenda because I got some problems with what's going on in my own hometown of Portland, Oregon. On Wednesday, the legislature unanimously banned drive-through dispensaries or walk-up windows for dispensaries. Unanimously banned them. And I have to wonder why. What is it about marijuana that makes it safer if I have to get out of my car to walk into a building to purchase it? 
<laughs> McDonald's drive-thru isn't bad for you because you're driving through for it. It's just bad for you. Likewise, cannabis isn't any safer or more dangerous because you're picking it up at a walk-up window or you're driving through to get it. This presumes that the people who are driving up through the dispensary window are picking up the marijuana and then smoking and driving. Why wouldn't that be any more difficult or easy if you had to park the car first and then get back in the car? So these proactive bans on certain types of cannabis businesses and certain ways of serving the consumer sector seem to me to be solutions in search of a problem. What would have the problem been of having drive-up dispensaries? They've got drive-through liquor stores in places in this country, a lot of them throughout the South, but we're going to worry about someone picking up some cannabis at a drive-through. And this comes on the heels of the state of Oregon passing and amending its Clean Air Act to ban vaporization and any sort of cannabis smoking. And this has led now to the closure for the third time of the world-famous Cannabis Café, run by my friend and mentor Madeline Martinez in Portland. It's made international headlines for being one of the first places where cannabis consumers could gather and consume cannabis together, just like alcohol consumers can. But it's been shut down because the clean air laws do not allow indoor smoking. They've made numerous visits and found, yes, indeed, Madeline was allowing people to smoke joints inside, and ashtrays and everything. So she's been shut down, or she's shutting down, and it just begs the question, why? Because this Clean Air Act actually has within it specific exceptions carved out for tobacco shops and cigar bars. And Representative Ann Leninger said, quote, I think the idea of cannabis cafes makes sense, especially if we allow cigar bars. But the concerns of public health advocates are real. We need to make sure that if we allow the creation of cannabis cafes, we do it in a way that is safe for workers and that is going to require some careful thought and discussion among people who care about the issue, end quote. Look, the Clean Air Act and all of these laws about no smoking indoors were passed because we had demonstrable science showing there was a harm from the inhalation of secondhand smoke on a continuous basis by the workers. There is nothing about cannabis smoke that is any more harmful than secondhand tobacco smoke, and certainly less harmful than secondhand tobacco smoke. Again, solutions in search of a problem. And if we're going to allow cigar bars that have that tobacco smoke that the Clean Air Act was invented for, we're going to allow that, then we have to allow cannabis cafes. And of course, the unintended consequences we've mentioned numerous times on this show, without a place to go consume cannabis, two things happen. Number one, tourists and residents who live in public housing and places where their landlords don't like it, who want to smoke or vaporize cannabis, do so anyway. They just do it in parking lots. They do it around the corner. They do it in the alley. They do it in the park. They do it wherever they want to do it. So you increase your public consumption. Or number two, Unable to smoke anywhere, people then turn to edibles, which they have very little experience with. They end up overdosing on the edibles, going to emergency rooms, and then there's this hue and cry from the officials about, oh my God, there's so many more people going to emergency rooms for medical marijuana or for marijuana. <laughs> well, yeah, of course, you're forcing them to. You're incentivizing a more difficult manner to control when it comes to consuming cannabis. And then, of course, all of this 
is also in the context now of high times and the cannabis cup being unable to secure a location for the 420 stoner holiday in Colorado, not being able to get an event permit in Denver, scrambling to try to get an event permit in far away Pueblo, Colorado. And now it doesn't look like there'll be any cannabis cup in Colorado. What the hell's going on with legalization when there can't be a cannabis cup in Denver, Colorado, Seattle, Washington, and Portland, Oregon, the three places in the world on the planet that should have the most liberal cannabis laws that would allow for a cannabis cup cannot hold one any longer. What the hell is going on when in legal states you can't have these gatherings for cannabis consumers to celebrate their right of free association, but in California and Michigan, people that have medical permission slips can do exactly the same thing. As we legalize cannabis, it's important for these officials to understand and for us to educate them on the fact that this isn't just about whether or not we're safe from being arrested because we're cannabis consumers. It has to do with whether or not we are treated differently because we are cannabis consumers. The arrests and the fines were just part of it. The whole point is that we should be legal and legal should mean equal and equal to the people who drink alcohol and smoke tobacco and seem to have all sorts of rights, privileges and exceptions carved out for them. It's time for equal rights for cannabis consumers. It's time for cannabis cafes, for drive through dispensaries, for cannabis cups and other sorts of sanctioned adult events just like are allowed for alcohol all right folks we got to take a break here live from astoria oregon never say die when we come back we'll get fran janik on the line he'll tell us all about vermont's legalization going through its legislature not an initiative and how that's becoming more and more restrictive and corporate that's coming up in the cannabis community chat right after these messages. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension, downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today, or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment. Okay, maybe you're high, too. The cannabis community is a diverse set of people from all walks of life. Conservative and liberal, black and white, straight and gay, rich and poor, and everyone in between. Learn more about the people we are freeing from adult cannabis prohibition in our cannabis community chat. 
Welcome back, everybody. 31 after the hour. And today in the cannabis community chat, we're going to go to the great northeastern regions of the United States, to the state of Vermont, the home state of Senator Bernie Sanders, and our guest for today, Fran Janik, who's a longtime listener of the show and an activist in the, uh, what is it, the Green Mountain State? Welcome, Fran. How you doing? It is the Green Mountain State. Hey, Russ. Good to talk to you again. Um, I'm here representing uh, a group of concerned citizens uh, known as Vermont Homegrown, of course. Uh, we helped craft the original bill in the uh, in the Senate with uh, Senators White You're and Benning sponsoring it, coming out of the GovOps Committee. Um, uh, I will uh, reflect on uh, what's going on in your own state and say what the heck is happening, because what has happened is as it went through the Judiciary Committee and uh, Senator Dick Sears took hold of it, he basically rewrote the entire bill. Mm. So uh, this has gone along to the point where he was only willing to uh, legalize up to one ounce of marijuana in possession of an, an individual. And he uh, uh, basically focused, like I said, going corporate, but focused the limited number of permits on uh, more expensive and higher-end businesses. Um, where, where did we start so, off with this bill? Where, what was the possession limit when it started, and did it have cultivation? When well, it we had a really nice bill. I'm holding in my hands uh, a document that I hand-titled S-241, and that was issued by the state of Vermont and introduced by Senator White and referred committee on 12-10-2015 uh, at 4.03 p.m. And that basically allowed for home growth. It allowed for you to possess up to an ounce on your person. It allowed for you to keep everything that you grew in your home or secure location. Uh, it allowed for sharing without uh, any sales. And we worked to get open licensing, but in that particular version of the bill, that draft, we came out with about 171 licenses. So really and not, those were, not too dissimilar from what we've seen pass in other legal states and the sky hasn't fallen. Right. Well, this is what we tried for. In other words, we tried to keep it to civil penalties, not criminal penalties. Right now, we're back to criminal penalties uh, for any grower that is not licensed by the state, um, and that's a, a very big problem. Uh, this bill will also leave out um, people who cannot get a card in our very restrictive medical program. Remember, the reason that we were working very hard on this legislation to get it to be open an open open market and uh, open licensing and, and home grow is to uh, allow people that are not allowed into this restrictive program to uh, gain access to cannabis. Um, we've been dealing with this uh, legislation that is the medical program for about a decade, and it's been very difficult to change. So the idea of doing something through the legislature, which is, uh, you know, you know, and we found out is very difficult, um, a ship to steer, um, is a situation it has become a situation where uh, we were forced to go against our own bill uh, regrettably um, at this time we're trying to get amendments as it goes through the house as it has cleared the senate uh, our own senator balen from uh, windham county stood her ground and represented her constituents very well uh, joe benning spoke eloquently and uh, they passed it through judiciary on the the premise that anything is to get it through there is better than nothing moving in the direction that it's going, but we really feel that we need to take it further. So the, the situation is then uh, you had a pretty decent bill, had home grow in it, but this senator yes. kind of insisted that it have no home grow, that only commercial licensed grow would be allowed, people, uh, patients, he, I suppose. He didn't, yeah. 
would have to buy it from a dispensary, right? Or a, a pot shop. Any, anybody in the state will have to buy it from state licensed uh, marijuana. Okay. You will not be able to grow your own. You will not be able to, uh, there's nobody bringing it into the state. Uh, they've, we have gotten it down a bit. Uh, the initial licenses were, I believe, 10 or 15 licenses. We've extended that and we've lowered the threshold. But the, to give you an idea, the initial application fee, which I'm not sure if it has changed or it hasn't, but I don't think it has, is a non-refundable $15,000 to get a license. Mm. Yeah. Okay, And they've taken away, you were talking about places for people to smoke, and they've taken away the lounges that were in the original S-241 that uh, Senator Benning actually put in just to give uh, tourists a place to, to smoke their uh, quarter of an ounce. Hmm. So uh, we're looking at a 25% tax plus possibly... Um, the six to seven percent sales and use tax on top of that uh, on every sale, and um, so it basically basically they've created a system also that funds law enforcement uh, for drug enforcement. Twenty five percent of the profits from uh, legal sales will go to law enforcement directly, and then another fifty percent of every civil fine collected for any arrests and and fines will go directly to the law enforcement community. Wow, so a little bit of incentive there to uh, find ways to entrap and, and, and to uh, prosecute people for profit, which is something we're trying to get away with or get away from in the first place. Uh, we're speaking with Fran Janik. He's an activist in uh, Vermont who is working with, uh, what was the name of the group again? Vermont Homegrown. That's Vermont Homegrown, and we're a community group of concerned citizens who have been in on all the meetings during the last year. A little Vermont Homegrown there for you. Yeah. Oh, did you pay it? play it? Okay, I couldn't quite hear it over the line. Yeah, there we go. Home Seat Grown. Uh, tell folks a little bit about your program that you do regularly if they want to listen in more on what's going on in Vermont. Well, we don't have a website. Um, again, we're, we're operating on zero budget. Uh, you know about that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and uh, so we have a Facebook page, and you just go to Facebook, and you, you dial in Vermont Homegrown, all caps, three words. Okay. And you'll, you'll get our Facebook page, and we'll get, that'll give you a feed to what's happening. And, you know, another comparison right now is we just had a, a, a Maple Spirits distillery, a small one, uh, husband and wife team, uh, just get featured in WCAX, which is one of our TV stations here. And they're able to take farm to, they're able to go farm to table with their, their spirits, with their alcohol, made from maple syrup. And I, I have no problem with that. But if we are celebrating all these things in Vermont, why can't we celebrate one more? Yeah. Why can't we go farm to table? Why can't we spread out the wealth? Why can't we keep the money local? It's not old, it's not new money in, in this economy. It, it's old money that, uh, many, many of, uh, Vermonters, small, small illegal growers have stood up right in front of their centers and said, please don't take away my, my, my small income that I get from this. Uh, and, and again, you, if you, if you take away home grow, even for the person that's not selling, somebody just wants to have it for themselves, one or two plants, or as we had it, a 10 by 10 plot, which seems to have scared some senators. Um, you uh, are, again, taking that money that could go other places in the economy, and, and that person is going to have to spend for that $400 ounce because it's not going to be a $250 ounce. So the black market is still... It's not been um, taken away or the gray market or parallel market or whatever we want to call it is not going to leave. And we're going to create a two-tier system where you can be arrested because you don't have a license. We're not going to give you one. 
and the other fellow that's got a lot of money or, or his investors uh, can get that license uh, and then own the market. So is it the situation where the, the proponents of the bill in the legislature, you mentioned something about them, let's get this passed to get it out of committee so there's some movement, but do they believe that in the House they're going to be able to reamend it to return home grow and maybe some of these other provisions, or does that seem unlikely? Well, I, 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 do have, I do have information that there is action in, in the House uh, from several members from several uh, state representatives uh, to amend the bill to put home grow back in. We're not sure what's going to happen there, of course. We, we won't know until it happens. But um, there is concern among the House members because we've raised the issues um, that, in fact, uh, legalization won't work for the five points that the governor's put out, uh, which includes uh, elimination of a black market, um, and, and that, that indeed will... Uh, cause problems where we'll have additional judiciary costs because if you bring in the 25 police officers that are uh, funded in the bill and it's actually pre-funded by uh, over one million dollars, I forget the exact figure, so I won't go any higher than that. But you know, it's just a situation where uh, Senator Dick Sears, Richard Sears of Bennington, Vermont, who's the head of the Judiciary Committee, who's a senior senator in Vermont, decided he was going to do it his way, fund law enforcement and give the money to, uh, you know, we, we don't mind them giving the money to prevention or that kind of thing. Of course, nobody's in, uh, looking for anyone under the age of 21 to have legal access. But again, we feel that will actually be, their legal access could be diminished by, um, you know, just bringing it out in the open and, uh, and allowing people to go farm to table. We've had one of our farmers up there in a meeting, and they questioned her extensively, and and she's a nice young lady, a uh, family farm with uh, meats and uh, vegetables, and she sells to l- local consumers. And you know, and, and they they want to test. They want to. They want you to bring your herb to the testing center and make sure you you go through our expensive testing, and and then uh, or or it has to be grown by the state uh, sanctioned uh, places. So it's containment and control basically is is a good part of the issue too. If this bill uh, survives as is and is unable to be amended for any of these things like the uh, home grow or the pot lounges that we'd like to see in it, do you feel that it's too compromised to be worth supporting and, and perhaps they sh- advocates should change their attitude toward passing an initiative that might be uh, more liberal? Uh, well, we've been chastised for even thinking that and saying that, but we, if we hadn't raised the flag, I think we'd be in, tr- in worse shape than we are. And another point of that I'd make up is if this bill passes right now, uh, a Vermont registered patient will not be able to make um, a full extraction oil or an RSO. And so people won't be able to make their meds. So these people that were making their meds who could barely afford to grow their own because they can't afford to go to the dispensaries or because the t- two licensees that own 60% of the dispensary market here, CBD and Southern Vermont Wellness, don't even make those meds for cancer patients. And patients find out after they sign up. Is this and, a restriction and, you know, it, on uh, extraction techniques that would cause this? Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't be able to use any, um, any uh, ethanol or, or anything, or butane, of course, or anything like that. Um, and already they're, they're uh, cracking down on people here in the state. Uh, there was a, a child who was interviewed and found out that his father was growing and he was making extracts, but the mother had cancer and she just didn't have a card. And the, the other, that's the other side of the coin, too, is doctors will not confirm diagnoses, and that's all they're doing on the Vermont forms. But there are many, many, many medical professionals who are refusing to confirm diagnoses. And then the whole system is set up. Like I said, we're trying to avoid the restrictive legislation that, that has really destroyed 
um, the medical program in Vermont. It's a D-plus on the AMA, and um, I don't know how accurate that is, but I'd, I'd give it a lower mark. So yeah. I, it, it just, it just, it's left so many people out in the cold. Maybe two-thirds of the people that could benefit from this can't even get a card. And I hear from them every day. I heard from a veteran who moved from Pennsylvania, and he had some of the best, he has MS, multiple sclerosis, and he had some of the best MS doctors in Pennsylvania. Evidently, they're down there in Philadelphia. They're great. And he came up here to get legal medicine. And right now, he's take, it's going to take six months for him to get a relationship with a, to get a, an appointment with a doctor. And then it is required that he have a six-month relationship after that appointment to get his card. So there's a year wait for him right now. My goodness. I have him walking around the state house with letters to senators. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, and I could go on. Uh, a number of patients continue to contact me. On, well, let's on let's give them that contact information because we're running out of time here, Fran. If people want to talk to you about this and other issues in Vermont, how can they reach you? They can they can go to Vermont Homegrown on Facebook and they can leave us a message. Um, I'm one of the administrators. There's several administrators, but I'm one of the primary administrators. Vermont Homegrown on Facebook, and that's the best way to get to us right now. Um, and uh, call if you're in Vermont and, and, and you think you want fair legalization for all Vermonters, please call your senators. Please call your, I mean, please call your house rep right now, too, um, and tell them what you want because uh, we want it for everybody. We just don't want it limited to a few, and we don't want a two-tier system that uh, leaves people being arrested and, uh, for, for growing a couple of plants at home. Fran Janik, thanks for all the work you're doing and all the support you've given us here at the Russ Belleville Show, and good luck with everything happening in Vermont. Thanks for everything, Russ. Look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Stay tuned, folks. We've got time for a radical rant coming up at the end here. We're going to look at competing medical marijuana initiatives in Ohio. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. We must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Well, of course, there are two medical marijuana initiatives for Ohio. What did you expect, people? A couple of weeks ago, the Marijuana Policy Project, MPP, announced the details of their planned medical marijuana initiative for the state of Ohio. You'll remember that the Buckeye State had infamously rejected legalizing recreational and medical marijuana last year because Nick Lachey might get rich. 
But within that electoral drubbing was the polling information that showed overwhelming support for medical marijuana. MPP's initiative is largely a cut and paste from some of their better medical marijuana laws that they've been successful in passing throughout America. There are a couple of stinkers in there from some of their lesser medical marijuana laws as well. Here are the basic details of MPP's Ohio initiative. Patients would qualify for a medical card with any of the big eight conditions that most states recognize. Those are cancer, glaucoma, HIV, AIDS, cachexia, seizures, spasms, pain, and nausea. Most all medical marijuana states recognize those. As well as PTSD, agitation from Alzheimer's, ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease, hep C, Crohn's disease, and ulcerative colitis. Registered cardholders in Ohio could possess two and a half ounces of usable marijuana, could cultivate or have a caregiver cultivate for them at least six cannabis plants, and that's just the floor. The, the, the ceiling could be raised. There could be a greater limit in some circumstances. And, and patients could possess all the usable marijuana they harvest from those six plants at the grow site. There will be other limits eventually for cannabis products like edibles and extracts. They're not listed in the initiative, but the state is directed to come up with some limits. There are some limits on the caregivers. Only one caregiver can grow at any one address. That's to avoid the problem of card stacking, like what we had in Oregon, where like 26 growers all grow on one property. Uh, and uh, the caregiver has to be an Ohio resident, so people just can't move in from out of state and be caregivers that are growing for patients. And caregivers can only grow for five patients, uh, with one exception. If you're a caregiver who's an employee of like a hospice or a nursing home, assisted living facility, something like that, then you can be a caregiver for more than five patients if they're all residents of that uh, facility. The registry cards would only cost $40 a year. That would be the max. And there could be lower cost cards for low income patients. This is all details from Ohio's uh, proposed medical marijuana initiative from MPP. Uh, they would have reciprocity for medical marijuana cards issued from other states. So your medical marijuana card would be valid in Ohio. And until they get around to the registry cards being issued, which I think is like August of 2017, up until then, patients would have an affirmative defense to any marijuana charges until the, you know, just as soon as the law goes into effect. Medical cardholders could not be denied any right or privilege for medical cannabis use and could not be discriminated against for their housing, their education, their child custody, and their medical procedures, such as organ and tissue transplants. Now, there's some caveats on that. Housing and education, uh, they can restrict patients if they lose some sort of federal benefit. If they lose a federal contract or something, they can't be forced to have to allow patients. Uh, nursing homes and hospices have to allow some sort of patient access to medical cannabis, not necessarily smoked. They can ban smoking. They can ban, you know, they can say that the patient can't keep their medicine on site, but they have to at least let a patient have edibles or tinctures delivered to them in a non-smoked form and they can use them on site. There would be specific protection from search and seizure 
solely for being a card holder. And being a card holder is specifically mentioned as not any sort of probable cause or reasonable suspicion for police to investigate a crime. There would be a new marijuana control division that would be established. It would uh, set the rules on safety, packaging, labeling, inspection, testing, marketing, and advertising of medical cannabis. They'll control the licensing of the medical cannabis industry, and licensing would be fav- would be preferred for those who provide medicine to financially needy patients and to those that promote investment in communities of color. There would be up to 15 type one growers. A type one grower would be able to cultivate up to 25,000 square foot of canopy, and that fee would be a half million dollars for the big grows. Up to 15 big grows, half million dollar license each. And there could be an unspecified number of type two growers. They only have to pay a $5,000 fee, and they can cultivate only up to 5,000 square feet. So that sounds like it would help to protect the small grower industry in Ohio. The rest of the licenses for production, testing, uh, production, they mean processing, uh, testing, distribution, you know, wholesaling, and dispensaries or retailing, those types of licenses would all also cost $5,000. Cardholders could not process their own hydrocarbon or carbon dioxide extracts without a commercial processor's license. And dispensaries would have to maintain internal confidential tracking of patient purchases to ensure that the dispensaries don't sell them any more than the two and a half ounces they're allowed to over a two week period. And as far as the licenses, you can be vertically integrated. You can own a cultivation, production, distribution, and dispensary license. You can control it from farm to table, from seed to sale. The only thing that's restricted is if you have a testing license, you can't have any of those other licenses. Testers can only be testers. And cultivators can only have one cultivation license. So if you're wondering why the guys would go for the type one license at a half million dollars when they could just get five type two licenses at 5,000 each. Uh, No, they can't. So if you're a big grower, that's it. You got your one big grower license. If you're a small grower, that's it. You got your one small grower license. There's a residency requirement. Uh, You have to be an Ohio resident from before January 1st, 2016, but the residency requirement sunsets in 2020. So for four years, only Ohioans will be able to get these licenses. Licensees can't generally have felony convictions within the past five years. It's generally uh, no violent felony convictions, and it's kind of this vague thing about no convictions for actions that would affect you know, the lawful running of a dispensary. So I guess you know fraud, embezzlement, those kind of things. Uh, but definitely no violent felony convictions, and that's only within the past five years. And it wouldn't count any felony conviction for something that would be made legal under the medical marijuana law. So if you were growing up to a you know, 25,000 square foot grow, maybe that wouldn't be a problem under this new law. Licensees cannot co-locate with a doctor who rec- writes recommendations for medical cannabis. Can't co-locate, can't pay, can't give benefits to, can't refer patients to these doctors. So there's going to be a maintaining an independence 
of the pot docs from the cannabis industry. The licensees have to be at least 500 feet from schools, churches, libraries, playgrounds, and parks, but a locality could make that a greater distance if they chose to. Localities could only enact restrictions on time, place, and manner of medical marijuana establishments. Outright bans of dispensaries would require a majority vote of the people. And the Ohio legislature is banned from coming up with some sort of sneaky way to undermine the amendment. Now, that's MPP's initiative for medical marijuana in Ohio. They've got the funding. They've got the experience. They've passed several medical marijuana laws. This one is one of the better ones that they've put forth, and it would be the best medical marijuana law east of the Mississippi. They've hired three longtime local activists from Normal and the Ohio Rights Group and the former Issue 3 campaign from last year. They're proposing a law far better than what the Ohio legislature offered, which was a cannabidiol, no-hole-plant, no-smoking medical marijuana proposal. So, of course, MPP's plan is terrible and must be dropped in favor of a competing grassroots initiative that promises to legalize medical marijuana the right way. (sighs) Second verse, same as the first. Grassroots Ohio announced they are proposing their own amendment to legalize medical marijuana, which their spokesperson, Cassie Young, said is, quote, intentionally brief, end quote. This comports with the recent true legalization criticism of California's Adult Use of Marijuana Act as being too long at 62 pages. Quote, we shouldn't be putting regulations in our constitution, she told Cleveland.com. The amendment is about protecting inherent rights of Ohioans, not enshrining business interests, end quote. Enshrining business interests. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it was the boogeyman of the wrong people making money on marijuana reform that was the scare tactic that undermined the legalization campaign in Ohio last year, as well as that stupid mascot. (laughs) So it's no surprise to learn that the mastermind behind the Grassroots Ohio one-page medical marijuana amendment was one of the most vocal critics of last year's Issue 3, GW Pharmaceuticals founder, Don Wirtshafter. Here's what his Grassroots Ohio Initiative proposes. People the age of majority, which in Ohio is age 18, can use, possess, cultivate, process, and share cannabis for medical purposes. People under age 18 can use cannabis for medical purposes if a doctor says so. Everybody can grow, process, and sell industrial hemp, Hydrocarbon extraction, edibles production, commercial cultivation, and retail sales may be taxed and regulated by the state. People aged 21 and older can get licenses in the medical cannabis industry. You still can't endanger others, engage in malpractice, or operate heavy machinery while under the influence of cannabis, but evidence of active or inactive metabolites is not evidence of being under the influence of cannabis. And you still can't smoke in public places. That's it, folks. What condition qualifies you for using medical cannabis? Well, apparently it's your belief that your cannabis is for medical use. The only requirement in this amendment for a physician's approval is for people under the age of 18. 
How much cannabis can you grow in your backyard for medical purposes? How much usable cannabis can you keep on hand? It doesn't say. Apparently, it's limitless. Those medical rights shall not be infringed, and active THC isn't evidence of impairment. So does that mean the 18-year-old who believes he needs cannabis for anxiety and is carrying a quarter pound of it while puffing a joint and driving is safe from any police interference? You know, the heart part of me loves this Grassroots Ohio initiative. No doctor's notes, age 18 and up, toking and driving is legal. (laughs) What's not to love? But the head part of me says there's no way in hell Ohioans would vote for such a measure, especially after the easy attack ads it would summon. And the practical part of me says this is another case where a professional, national, funded, moderate reform initiative is getting primaried once again by true legalization. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. That's all the time we got for today. But stay tuned for Hour 2. Toker Talk Radio is up next. We'll take your calls at 971-533-7111. For everyone here in Astoria, Oregon, and CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, Tokers. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? Or you can tell. I am here. Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Portland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. And is it real? We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and and the, the next thing you know, they got ten years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, everybody. Time for Toker Talk Radio. Coming to you live from beautiful Grass Storia, Oregon. We're on the northern tip of Oregon, on the coast. You can't get any farther northwest in Oregon than where we're at right now. It's a beautiful gray day. Looking out over the Columbia River and that miraculous, marvelous 4.2-mile bridge across the Columbia River over there into Longview, Washington. Love it up here. We're at Cannabis Carries Kensington Estates. <laughs> it's my little pet name for this big house of hers. But uh, going over those Ohio initiatives, you know, I just knew it's, it's so predictable anymore. 
that any place where marijuana legalization or marijuana medical marijuana reform has a shot, it seems there's going to be the professional, funded, well-written, well-polled, moderate campaign. And then there's going to be the unfunded, grassroots, local, true legalization version to try to compete with it. Seems like that's just going to be the way it goes. It's the way it's going in California. You got one uh, leader, you know, Adult Use of Marijuana Act, one sensible initiative, and two grassroots true legalizations. In Arizona, you got MPP's CRIMLA, and you got the Arizonans for Mindful Regulation. The, you know, the grassroots true legalization. You don't have it in Nevada because Nevada's already made the ballot. So nobody else is fighting against that Nevada at this point. In Massachusetts, it was Massachusetts Crimla versus Bay State Repeal. When Bay State Repeal hasn't made their didn't make their signature count, so they're out for now. But again, you had the two different groups. In uh, Maine, Maine, you had the two different groups, which in a rare show of cooperation actually decided to work together. On legalization, And now it turns out through some shenanigans at the Secretary of State's office, they didn't make the ballot, although that's being challenged. And I think they'll be successful in that challenge. In Missouri, you've got Missouri going for a, a sensible, moderate medical marijuana initiative. And then you've got the Mo Crap Act. Yes, folks, the Mo Crap Act, the Missouri Cannabis Restoration and Protection Act, the Mo Crap Act. That proposes unlimited possession, unlimited cultivation, age 18, toking and driving is legal. And they think something like that could pass. The only other state up in the air at this point, uh, state of Florida, with its medical marijuana initiative. And I don't believe there's any grassroots competition for that one. I think that one still stands alone. So it might be the outlier in this 2016 election race. And it's it's interesting to me because... I understand the motivation of some of these people that are true legalizers. And for the moment, let's put aside those that are motivated by purely financial, selfish reasons. The greedy growers against legalization types, the dispensary types, the medical marijuana types that want to keep the status quo and are obfuscating the reasons why. Let's put them aside for a second, because I do believe there are actual, true, grassroots, good people who see a existential danger in this corporate legalization. I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to feel a tinge of sympathy for them because of the heat that I'm taking over my Bernie or bust stance, where I see this existential threat of the Democratic Party going corporate. And some people are pointing out that, yeah, Russ, that's what these true legalizers have a problem with, is the fear... That if we continue down this path, marijuana becomes irrevocably corporate. When we come back from break, I'll tell you why those stances are different. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. 
Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. Maui Wowie, Acapulco Gold, California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the competing initiatives, generically speaking, all across the United States, how there's a professional, well-funded nationally backed moderate initiative that stands a good chance of getting on the ballot and passing. And then there's the grassroots unfunded true legalization pie in the sky won't likely make the ballot. And if it did would never pass version. And we're seeing that dynamic play out in California and Arizona and now we're in and, and Missouri. And now we're seeing it in Ohio with respect to medical marijuana where Marijuana Policy Project has come up with a pretty darn good medical marijuana law. If you want to compare it to the 23 states that already have medical marijuana, it's, uh, it's right up there with some, some of the best. Possession limit could be higher. Two and a half ounces is a little, little low on the possession limit. But otherwise, you know, protections for housing and, and uh, education, child custody, medical procedures, uh, you know, reasonable, reasonable setup here in this bill. But then you've got Don Wernschafter, the founder of GW Pharmaceuticals, leading off with this uh, grassroots Ohio and a one-page amendment because Lord knows how keeping an amendment short when it comes to medical marijuana is the best way to go. We certainly proved that with Prop 19 did, or Prop 215, didn't we, in California? Just 11 lines, nice and short, fits on one page. 
there's been no scandal or controversy or strange court decisions or hodgepodge of local contradictory uh, bans and limits because of Prop 215. No. Prop 215 was short, and when bills are short, that means they're good, right? Because it's short, that means it's perfect, and nobody will ever argue about it, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so that that's one thing that cracks me up about this is, oh, they're writing so many regulations into the Constitution. It's just – it's way too much. It's too many regulations. In this situation, when you're trying to protect people from being prosecuted – criminally for their use of marijuana, the more regulations is the more explicit protections that you're getting and the more explicit definitions you're getting. So there can be fewer of these gray areas and fewer of these court cases that might have a decision that impacts us negatively. And after 23 states passing laws and ironing out a lot of these things, that may be why some of these laws are getting longer and longer. Because they look back and go, oh, yeah, when we wrote that other law back in 1998 or 2000 or 2004 and it didn't include protections for organ transplants, we saw a lot of medical patients dying because they got discrimination for organ. So, gee, maybe we ought to cover that. So there you go. That's the, you know, whether or not it's short or long. Uh, I wanted to address some things that people were saying in the chat room about this. Uh, John Chambers asks, does the residency requirement – in that MPP initiative, does that trigger issue two? See, that's something that a lot of people need to be reminded of is that last year when issue three was shot down because it might make Nick Lachey rich, you know, the, the official explanation is we rejected monopolies, but for some reason the anti-monopoly amendment just barely passed while the legalization amendment went down in flames. So it doesn't seem to me that it lost so much because of the monopoly part. Anyway, when they rejected that legalization with issue three, what came along with it was sabotage by the Ohio legislature in the form of issue two. Issue two states that any initiative that tries to create an economic benefit or preferred tax status to any entity that is not similarly conferred onto other like entities shall first have to go through a vote to determine whether or not it can even be voted on. So what this issue two does is it makes it so that these medical marijuana initiatives, either MPPs or the Grassroots Ohio one, would have to get two majority votes. Because he's asking, you know, does the residency requirement trigger issue two? Well, I'm not sure. But if the issue two says something that creates a special status has to be voted on twice, well, being a resident makes a special class of citizens who have this special economic right that I as a non-Ohio citizen can't have. That sounds to me like it might trigger issue two. In, uh, in the Grassroots Ohio one, it talks about all this medical marijuana stuff, but also says industrial hemp is legal and its commerce is legal. Does that trigger a single issue situation? I think Ohio is one of those states that has one of those single issues for initiatives. You can't have the kitchen sink amendment that 
covers like 19 things. It has to be on one specific issue. Will the legislature, which does not, or the attorney general or whoever reviews this, that do not like the idea of legalization, do you think they might interpret that in such a way that it's two separate issues? Put it back on square one? I don't know. All I do know is that Ohioans might be looking back after MPP's initiative passes and thinking, gosh, that issue three, we would have all been able to have a lot more rights than under this one. We wouldn't have had to get doctor's notes and have to deal with all that. Now, I know the grassroots Ohio people. I know who Don, Don Wortshafter is, and I know his background, and I know those folks. And while they dress this up in medical marijuana terms, they really just want to legalize it, which, again, is fine by me. I, you know, legalize it, right? But I have a problem with trying to legalize it by saying it's medical when you know damn well what you're writing is something that would open the floodgates to all the recreational use in the world. This amendment says that people who have reached the age of majority, and that's age 18 in uh, Ohio, so long as you're not mentally impaired, people aged 18 and older can use, possess, cultivate, process, and share cannabis for medical purposes. So 18-year-olds who can still be high school age people, right? They can still be in their senior year of high school can possess medical marijuana, can possess cannabis for medical purposes. Well, what is a medical purpose? Well, the initiative doesn't say. Who determines if the purpose is medical? Well, the initiative doesn't say. I guess it's up to the 18-year-old when he's caught with cannabis and the cop says, hey, you've got cannabis, for the 18-year-old to say, ah, but it's for medical purposes. How much cannabis is for medical purposes? Well, it doesn't say. It just says you can possess cannabis for medical purposes. Is a pound reasonable for medical purposes? Doesn't say. Now, like I said, I got no problem with that. (laughs) Like I said, many times, if it were up to me, we'd be passing the Russ Belville True Legalization Amendment that allows all people aged 18 and older possess as much cannabis as they want, grow as much cannabis as they want, buy and sell it, cap the taxes at $20 an ounce, cap the price at $50 an ounce, uh, and gift everyone a free quarter pound on their birthday. That's what I'd be uh, passing. But I'd be upfront about it, right? I'd say that's why we're passing because everybody has the right to use cannabis. I wouldn't be dressing up in this medical terminology that actually is more lenient than California's medical marijuana. This Grassroots Ohio initiative, if it were snuck through, would be more lenient than California. And don't think for a second that the opponents of medical marijuana wouldn't be jamming that down the ears and eyes of every piece of media viewership and listenership that they could possibly find in attack ad after attack ad after attack ad. It's just, I mean, like I said, the the heart part of me is like, yay, it'd be legal. But the head part of me is like, why are you putting forth something that is so tragically flawed from the perspective of having to defend it 
against attacks. And I think there's this kind of, I don't know if hubris is the right word, arrogance, um, this attitude among some legalizers who say, well, look, we've legalized in four states and 58% of the people support legalization. So obviously they're ready for what I think legalization should be. It's that same kind of arrogance that we saw when medical marijuana passed. And a lot of these medical marijuana people had the attitude of, oh, well, you know, 80% of the people support medical marijuana, so let's just run forth with it, not understanding that the 80% of the people who say they support medical marijuana includes a large, large percentage of them for whom medical marijuana means somebody is sick and dying, obviously so, and we're going to look the other way if they want to use some pot. They're not endorsing it, so to, so to speak. They're not sold on it being the healing of the nations and all use is medical. They're just in a very limited sense exercising the moral equation or inequality that it's worse to let a cancer patient suffer than to, you know, it's worse to throw a cancer patient in jail and not let him suffer and so forth. So the same thing's happening here with legalization, I think. You know, we get one ounce and six plants legalized, and suddenly they think that, oh, well, America's ready for age 18-year-olds to possess and cultivate as much as they possibly want under the guise that wink, wink, nudge, nudge, it's for medical purposes. And this part about, okay, so I I also have to laugh at this because of the scientific inaccuracy of it. The part of it that says evidence of active or inactive metabolites is not evidence of being under the influence of cannabis. There's no such thing as an active metabolite. There is such a thing as THC, the active molecule in cannabis that impairs you. There is such a thing as carboxy THC, the metabolite of the formerly active cannabis, the formerly active THC that could impair you, that it is in cell, itself inactive. But there's no such thing as an active metabolite. So if this went to a court case and they went by the letter of what's written in the, in the thing, active metabolite is a null phrase. But regardless, regardless, if we get past that, evidence of active THC in the blood is not evidence of being under the influence of cannabis. And prior to that, it says you can't operate heavy machinery while under the influence of cannabis. So what that's telling us by adding those two together is that having active THC in your blood is not enough to say that you shouldn't be driving a car. And you play that the right way in court, and what it means is if you caught me toking and driving and you couldn't prove that I was swerving... It wasn't a crime. Hey, bud. Let's party. <laughs> I'm sure Jeff Spicoli would love it. I love it. I don't have a problem with really even toking while driving for people that have their tolerance and know what they're doing. I'm just saying it would be a really, really hard sell to an Ohio voter. Happy 422, everybody. We're two minutes late. I got to get uh, busy. I'm a little behind here. Live from Grass Story, Oregon, we're back right after this. 
from high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. Tokers, there's no good reason to get your dog stoned. While it might not harm them physically... Imagine being a dog who already begs for treats all day, and then imagine that dog having the munchies. Not cool. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. <laughs> this is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 424 here in Astoria, Oregon. Next week, I'll be coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona. At least I think I am. I don't know if I'm going next week or the week after. It might be the week after. We shall see. But eventually I'll be in Phoenix, Arizona. Also looking forward to trying to make it out to New York City, April 19th through the 21st for UNGAS, the UN General Assembly Special Session. They're holding this session specifically on drug policy, given the changes in the United States and Uruguay and other countries that are trying to get some cogent response to the Latin American and South American countries that are pointing out, hey, America's legalized all the, in all these states, and you haven't enforced the treaties against them. Why should we have to keep enforcing America's prohibition in our countries, leading to all this mayhem and violence and bloodshed? They got a decent point. So I hope I make it out there uh, to that area. Another place I want to try to make it to April 2nd is Washington, D.C., where Adam Eidinger and the D.C. activists are putting together a protest at the White House, a smoke-in at the White House, to demand President Obama use executive action for marijuana legalization or reform before the end of his term. And what will make that special is it'll be a few days, maybe a week or two, 
after the end of Chris Goldstein's federal prohibition. Now, or probation, I should say. Uh, Chris Goldstein, you may or may not know, is the man who created my career. He was the man who created the Normal Daily Audio Stash podcast back in 2006, back before anybody knew what the hell a podcast was. <laughs> he was doing the Daily Audio Stash and did that for two years, and I took over in 2008. So Chris literally created my job. Well, Chris, along with others, had been participating in the Smoke Out Prohibition uh, rallies that they held in Philadelphia at the site of the Liberty Bell, which, of course, is a federal park. And, of course, they light up joints at 420, and they did this for month after month after month on a specific day of the month until finally the federal park people did not like it and arrested Chris for smoking weed on federal property. He eventually went to trial, and as part of the trial, he ended up on probation for two years. So subject to frequent random urine screens and unable to smoke cannabis for two years. And, and, and Chris, you know, he's puffing tough like me, right? He's a regular consumer. So to go without cannabis for two years, that's something. And this will be over in this month sometime. And so that DC smoke out, he may be legal to smoke. He may no longer be on probation. Now, I don't know if the terms of his settlement meant that he can no longer protest on any sort of federal property, so that might keep him out of it. Regardless, I want to be on the East Coast, <laughs> and I want to hang out with my friend Chris Goldstein and uh, smoke a gold joint with him just to celebrate. His probation and all of that, I think, has cost him about three grand as well. So when you hear that you know, you hear the drug warriors say, look, yeah, we don't care about the people who are smoking marijuana. We're going after the kingpins. We're going after the growers and the, and the sellers. We, we, we don't care about little personal amounts of marijuana. Folks, he was smoking a joint, a single joint at the Liberty Bell. The Liberty Bell. <laughs> so, yeah, bullshit that they don't care about personal amounts. They certainly care about personal amounts when you're trying to make a political statement with them at the Liberty Bell. Let me get back to our chat room. And, and by the way, if you're listening here on CannabisRadio.com, if you're new to the network, we do have a chat room available through Spreaker.com. On the Cannabis Radio main site, if you scroll down to the player, there's this little cartoon-looking balloon. should be wiggling and waggling at you. If you click that, it'll open up a separate window. You can join our chat room with Michael and a couple of Johns and Tony. Who else is in here? Roland Reverend. Dan's in here today. Big Daddy Fink, good to see you all here. But uh, John Thomas made a good point. I wanted to bring this up and talk about it a little bit because I, I made this connection. In fact, somebody else on my Twitter feed made this connection, and I, I, I've been waiting for someone to make it. If you read my stuff on Huffington Post politics, you know that I'm a Bernie Sanders supporter. I'm a feel-the-burn guy, and I'm definitely a Bernie or bust guy. And what that means is this phenomenon of people who support Bernie Sanders who will not vote for Hillary Clinton. And it's gotten me a lot of flack from a lot of people that, are, oh, if you don't vote for Hillary Clinton, you're enabling President Trump. Well, first of all, we haven't even decided who the nominee is yet. Sanders could still be the nominee. We still haven't even seen what's going to come of the FBI's investigation into Clinton's email server. She might be forced to withdraw, you know, and Sanders could be. So we don't even know that she's the nominee yet playing that whole you have to vote for Hillary or else Trump wins is already acceding to the idea 
that she's going to be the nominee. So I don't, I don't grant her that yet at all. But assuming she is, not voting for her does not mean someone's voting for Trump. Not voting for her means someone's not voting for her. Voting for Trump means someone's voting for Trump. I'm tired of this extortion that goes on from the Democratic Party that says, look the other way on all our misdeeds because at least we're not as crazy as the Republican. And if you don't support us, you're electing the crazy Republican. No, crazy Republicans are electing crazy Republicans. Progressive Democrats normally elect Democrats. If you can't get enough votes from progressives and liberals to elect your Democrat, then maybe you ought to think about running some progressives and liberals. But you can't continue to extort us and can't continue to say that it's our refusal to support the worst actions of the Democratic Party and blame us for what you have wrought. And again, I'm not someone who demands ideological purity. I'm not in line with any candidate 100%. There's things that Bernie likes that I disagree with. But there is a limit. You know, if I can run down three, four, five things about a candidate that I don't agree with, but we agree about all the rest of the things, well, then I can accept that, except for a few, you know, absolute, you know, deal breakers. I can't support, for example, any candidate who's pro-life, right, with the idea that we need to control women's bodies. Can't do it. But generally speaking, on policy issues, if there's some degree of difference, I can still support that candidate. But there's a point at which how many degrees of difference can you accept? And the other day I came up with 25 for Hillary Clinton that I could not accept. And people in Twitter are actually feeding me more. Here, here's number 26. Here's number 27. Here's number 28. (laughs) Uh, Her support for regime change in Honduras that recently got someone murdered. You know, those kind of things. Anyway, I digress because the point was that I've written these articles about how I only support Bernie because supporting Hillary is supporting the things I hate worst about the Democratic Party and how it slid to the right. And someone on Twitter caught me the other day and said, how can you have that stance for the radical change of Bernie against the moderate likely to win Hillary when you have the opposite stance when it comes to marijuana legalization? You support the moderate likely to win Adult Use Marijuana Act and reject the more radical CCHI and MCLR. First of all, I don't reject them. I'd support them if they made the ballot as well. Second of all, it's apples to oranges comparison because we're talking about whether or not we would end prohibition. Electing Hillary Clinton is talking about whether we continue corporate DNC, right? I'm trying to stop something that's bad in both cases. I'm trying to stop prohibition in the case of marijuana, and I'm trying to stop the corporatization of the DNC in the Hillary Clinton case. So I don't see them as being equal at all. But John Thomas brought up this really good point in the chat room, and it has to do with how I pointed out there's always these moderate, well-funded regulatory tax and regulate schemes that end up with competition from these grassroots, radical, free-the-weed type schemes, and how the free-the-weed people, and like that person on Twitter that was coming after me on the Hillary Clinton thing, 
They see an existential threat in the corporatization of marijuana like I see an existential threat in the corporatization of democratic politics. And to that extent, I could see that semblance of similarity. I I could see their point in that respect. But those people that are seeing this corporate takeover are missing the forest for the trees, which is that the corporate takeover, if we are going to call it that, means the ending of the criminal takeover of marijuana. We're improving things. Corporations are better than criminals running this thing. Once we're no longer criminals in this movement and in this industry, once corporations and business can legally buy, sell, and trade in this industry, then we have the standing to work for more freedom in that respect. We're no longer criminals asking for the right to get high. We're now consumers asking for liberalization of consumer policies. And that's why legalization trumps any sort, pardon the pun, trumps any sort of prohibition. And unlike the Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders thing, more than one of them can make the ballot. In the case of Hillary versus Bernie, it's a choice of either or, either Hillary or Bernie. In the case of Adult Use of Marijuana Act, CCHI, and MCLR, if I were a Californian, I would sign the petitions for all three, and I'd be delighted if all three made the ballot, and I would eagerly vote for all three. I don't have to be anti one of them like I have to be anti Hillary Clinton. Now, the, the only thing that's different, though, is with their three different initiatives, you're dividing and conquering the electorate, you're splitting the base, you're, you're dividing up your resources to be able to get something on the ballot. There is that negative. I guess some people could make that comparison to Bernie and Hillary as well. If you're contributing these millions of small donations to Bernie, they're not going to Hillary, but she doesn't need the help. She's got super PACs, right? But John Thomas, to finally get around to his point, says to want non-corporate marijuana is to ask marijuana reform to carry the burden of a general economic revolution on its back. We've got enough of a monstrous weight with prohibition to remove without taking on that crusade. Exactly. And that goes back to the point I often make where, you know, I say these stoners against legalization would have rejected the Emancipation Proclamation because it didn't grant black people the right to marry white people. You've got to pick and choose your battles. You've got to know what battle is ready to be fought. At the time of the Emancipation Proclamation, if you'd have thrown black men can marry white women in it, (laughs) it had turned out even worse than it turned out have to know when to pick and choose your battles. And right now is not the time for the everyone 18 and older can have as much medical cannabis as they want. And they don't need anybody's permission and it's all loosey-goosey. I pray that we get to that point. And it's okay that people are pushing for that, I suppose. I, I got no problem with you pushing for your true legalization. The problem I have is when you start pushing against other people's less than true legalization from your perspective support your initiative that's great don't fight somebody else's initiative because anybody else's initiative is better than the prohibition we have today gotta take a break we're live in grastoria oregon when we return
This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. <laughs> this is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody, from beautiful Grastoria, Oregon. Just checking out what's going on in the chat room. People making the point that Gary Johnson's out there running for the Libertarian nomination for president. We followed Gary Johnson around in 2012, of course. It was almost like he was stalking me. Got spooky a couple of times. Gary Johnson's a good guy. And as... as Here's my thing with libertarianism, Okay. Let me just get off on this little libertarian thing for a second. I get the idea that less government is preferred. You know, we want to have local control of things and so forth. And where libertarians stand on the social issues, I couldn't be in more agreement, right? If you want to, you know, trade money for sex, you want to do drugs, you want to, you know, live your life your way, so long as you're not harming someone else, bam. I'm for you. I, libertarianism on that regard, absolutely for it. Where I have problems with libertarianism is when they start applying those principles of leave everybody alone to the business world, to the ideas of deregulation and the idea that any sort of economic transaction between two parties is between two parties of equal, somehow equal standing who have equal rights in the issue, right? Right. 
Libertarianism operates on this idea that, well, you know, if I'm running a store and I choose to pay my employees a dollar an hour and they choose to work for me for a dollar an hour, well, then it's all okay. Look, nobody's going to choose to work for a buck an hour. They work for a buck an hour because of desperation, because of a situation that allows you to pay them something so low. My only problems with libertarianism come around when you start adding dollar signs to it because dollar signs change the power dynamic between two people in a transaction. And I believe that's where government needs to step in to protect, protect us from economically raping one another, (laughs) right? In an unfair way. Now I'm not against capitalism. I'm not against making a buck. And I understand that in capitalism, there's always an inequity that exists in order to facilitate trade. Somebody's making a deal, right? The best case scenario is when a deal is made and both people feel like they've got something good out of it, but that's not always the way it works out in capitalism. So I want a level, I'm all social libertarian as hell, but I want some level of government oversight over capitalism. To me, capitalism is like any species, right? Capitalism is a way of keeping score in the game of life. And in the game of life, there's winners and losers, and there's survival of the fittest, and there's the co- there's, there's the coalescing of powers, right? It's why now in America, we've ended up with Coke and Pepsi, Microsoft and Apple, Walmart and Target, Sam's Club and Costco, Home Depot and Lowe's, right? How many different – McDonald's and Burger King. How many different areas in our capitalist world can you think of where there's two major behemoths – And maybe some little players running around the edges, but mostly two major behemoths. It's just about in everything we've got, even in our politics, Republicans and Democrats, right? Same idea, Coke and Pepsi. So in my mind, and I learned this, you know, back in hunter education when I was a kid, right? Where they always justified it by saying, well, you know, we have to have hunting because you have to cull the herd. You, You can't let the organism continue to reproduce and consume and reproduce and consume and reproduce and consume or eventually they'll have eaten themselves out of house and home and they'll start dying right and suffering that was always a hunting justification right but i took it to heart in the sense that yeah organisms always want to reproduce and consume well in capitalism the capitalist organism wants to reproduce and consume and reproduce and consume and eventually you end up where like you Like I was saying, you've got two big behemoths and everybody else is little tiny fish. And so the hunting aspect of it was a way of correcting the food chain, a way of redistributing the wealth of life, if you will, from the apex predators, the ones that get all the way on the top there or the the animals that have no natural enemies that end up overpopulating. We add hunters, we add other ways of conserving the environment to be able to call that herd, to be able to reduce that organism, to be able to bring it back into harmony with the rest of life. That's the way I've, that's the way now in, in nature, in nature, what calls the herd is starvation, disease, predators that are higher up on the food chain, death, which eventually causes us all to return to the earth from which we came and so forth, right? In natural order in ecosystems, there's this, there's supposed to be this balance that is self-correcting. Now we've kind of messed up a lot of it, but it's supposed to be self-correcting. 
That's what I see government's role in, as in capitalism. It's not that capitalism's bad, just like life isn't bad, but life unrestrained, life ungoverned by natural selection and, and, and the process of life and death becomes overgrown, overpopulated, poisons its own environment. And that's where government comes in as a way, as the natural selection, as the breaks, as the restriction, as the way of culling the herd when it becomes necessary. We saw it before in the past when, you know, the Teddy Roosevelt broke up the big trusts when, uh, you know, the baby bell or when uh, Ma Bell was broken up. We've seen it in situations where corporate entities have become too big. And for the good of the environment, the good of our economic environment, we broke them up for to be more competitive, to, to allow more diversity. It's something we ought to be doing now with the banks that are bigger now than they were when they were too big to fail and they crashed our economy. It's something we ought to be doing now with the media and telecommunications industries where we have just four wireless carriers and six major corporations that carry 90% of our television, internet, and radio, and newspapers. Anyway, took that down a long road. <laughs> I don't even remember what my original point was, because it's a Friday, and we're here in Astoria, Oregon, and there, there have been dabs involved. But I was talking about libertarians, and, and Michael in the chat room is bringing up this point that if it ends up a Hillary versus Trump matchup, there are a lot of Democrats, and I know a lot of them, who are burning your bust like me, who say, if Hillary is the nominee, there is no way in hell I'm going to vote for her. They won't vote for Trump, but no way in hell are they going to vote for Hillary. And I know Republicans who feel the same way about Trump. No way in hell are they going to vote for Trump. Now, they won't vote for Hillary, but no way in hell would they vote for Trump. So you got a seriously disaffected Republican base and a serious – well, okay, the Republican base that's racist and xenophobic and all that, they're excited as hell about Trump. I'm talking about real Republicans, not the Republicans who are Republicans because that's the party where they have cover for their homophobia and their racism and stuff. I'm talking about people like my friend Sharon. I'm, a lot of my friends who are – Good down home, you know, Ann Lee, conservative Christian type people, but not a racist, homophobic, sexist bone in their body, right? They just believe in what they think are conservative principles. There's a whole lot of them that are never going to support Trump. There's a whole lot of us that are never going to support Hillary. This may be the perfect storm that allows a third party candidate like a Gary Johnson to actually win. Keep in mind that in third-party candidacies, generally the third party has never topped 19%. I believe 19% was what John Anderson got in the 1980 election with Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. In the 92 election with President Clinton and President H.W. Bush at the time and Ross Perot, I think Perot got 6 or 7%. I might be wrong on that. Maybe it was double digits, but Bill Clinton only got the presidency with 42% of the vote, or maybe it was 43, but it was not a majority. So could Gary Johnson, a libertarian, siphon off enough of those Republicans who hate 
the social side of Trump being the xenophobe and the Islamophobe and all the hateful shit that he says and the violence he encourages and the racism at his rallies and all that stuff. Could he suck over enough of those Republicans who are fiscally conservative who would actually have libertarian leaning economic principles? And could a Gary Johnson pull over enough lefties, enough progressives who will never vote for Hillary Clinton, but would appreciate a libertarian view on gay rights, marijuana legalization, prostitution legalization, generally keeping government's nose out of people's business? And consider on both sides of the aisle, people are fed up with politics as usual. They've had it with the two-party system. They think it's all rigged. It's all bought and sold. That could drive independence to a Gary Johnson. Could a Gary Johnson win a plurality of votes in a three-way race with Hillary Trump, Hillary and Trump? He'd only need to get 34%. If he got 34 and Trump and Hillary got 33% each, Gary Johnson be the president. Of course, it doesn't work as easy as that. I I shouldn't simplify it that much because it's not 34% of the popular vote, of course, you know, like a democracy. It's a republic. We have electoral college. Gary Johnson would have to get to 270 electoral votes. That might be harder to do because that means Gary Johnson winning at least 34% in enough of the states that add up to the 270 electoral votes. Then consider what happens if none of them get enough electoral votes. If that three-way split happens and none of them can make it to 270, the election gets thrown to the House of Representatives. House of Representatives overwhelmingly Republican, Republican-led, and in the Democratic Party on the House side, there's still a lot of those blue-dog Democrats from conservative areas. Does the House of Representatives hand it over to Donald Trump? When the House of Representatives and when the, the, House, the Republican leadership generally despise Donald Trump, despite their candidates all saying they would support the Republican nominee, would the House rebel, especially the Tea Party wing, of the house would they rebel against affirming Donald Trump as the Republican nominee to win the White House through the House of Representatives or would they switch their allegiance over to a Gary Johnson I don't think it can happen I still think the math is so overwhelmingly against third parties in this country that I don't think it can happen But if I have to rate the chances it could happen compared to any other election, I think they're higher in this election than any other election I've ever paid attention to. Still don't think it can happen, but if it could happen, this would be the time. All right, we're going to take a short break. Get things ready for Stoner Jesus coming up live here at the top of this next hour. Just seven minutes away from the Stoner Jesus Show, live here on CannabisRadio.com. I'm Radical Russ in beautiful Grastoria, Oregon. We'll pay a couple bills and be right back to say goodbye right after this.
This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. The Russ Belleville Show. Providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Radical Russ here, closing up shop for another day and another great week here on CannabisRadio.com. Remember, CannabisRadio.com is now the home of the Tommy Chong podcast. Catch it every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time, right after the Stoner Jesus show, which you can hear Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 5 p.m. live here on CannabisRadio.com. I'm Radical Russ with the Russ Belleville Show. We are live five days a week here on CannabisRadio.com at 3 p.m. Pacific Plus, make sure you check out our other shows. We got Dr. Mitch Earlywine with growing or burning issues, excuse me. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, the legendary grower. We've got uh, Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina, the medical marijuana doctor to the stars. We've got Hemp Present with Vivian McPeak. We've got uh, the the SSDP show. We've got a Gondrepreneur show. We've got a new show from PayQuick. That'll be starting up very soon, and you can get your show on CannabisRadio.com as well. Just visit us at CannabisRadio.com, and you'll find all the information that you need. All right, folks, going to close up shop here. Stoner Jesus is next, coming up at the top of the hour. want to thank everybody for your support and uh, your continued sponsorship here on the Russ Belleville Show. If you're interested... In being a name sponsor of the Russ Belleville Show, please get in touch with me. I'm RadicalRuss at gmail.com. You can have your brand mentioned at the beginning of any one of my segments, which will go down forever on SoundCloud and throughout podcasts all across the country. Also, if you got a product you like to promote, I'm all about having endorsement deals. Trying to get one with shinepapers.com for those 24 karat gold rolling papers. I love those things. 
But remember, I travel all over the country and I have smoke sessions with lots and lots of people well embedded in the cannabis industry and the marijuana movement. So if you're interested, please contact me, RadicalRuss at gmail.com. It's through your support that I'm able to keep this show on full-time and free since 2008. For everyone here at Kensington Estates in beautiful Grass Story, Oregon, and CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down to